They have to go through hard times. They have to sit with their sadness. They have to feel frustrated. They have to feel bored. They have to feel disappointed. Welcome to today's podcast episode. It's a solo one and I'm chatting with you about 10 things, I guess. I guess things is the word for it. Maybe 10 observations would be a more eloquent way to put it of the past decade of mum life. I cannot believe that the boys have just turned 10. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I know that 10 is still so little in the scheme of things, but it's such a jump as well. Like 10 is that age where they're kind of a bit awkward with themselves, you know, in general. 10-year-olds aren't at that independence level where, you know, a kid might be just before they become a teenager and they're coming out of that young child way of thinking and being. They're gaining momentum, they're gaining independence, but there are still some limitations and there are still some of those younger behaviors as well. That's what I am experiencing anyway. Like one of the boys is really into Machine Gun Kelly and in a way, he's like acting almost a little bit pre-teenish with the music that he's into and the style that he's into. But then at night, he still falls asleep with Shark the monkey and he's still hyper aware of where Shark is at bedtime. But during the day, Shark stays at home with us. There are these little sweet moments where I still get these glimpses of these young boys. You know, even at camping recently, One of the boys tucked his two bear bears into his swag so sweetly when we were heading out for a walk. But then after that, he skips off with his cousins and I can overhear their conversation and they're talking about quite grown up things. So it's this real like kind of sweet spot, I guess, in a way in terms of they're still young, they're still innocent, they still have these very sweet young behaviors, but they're also not completely ignorant to bigger concepts in the world. And I do really like speaking about bigger topics with the boys. I enjoy the conversation with them. And it's also challenging as well. Like like all things in life and all things particularly related to parenting, there's good and there's hard. I have spoken a little bit over on Sunroom about a diagnosis that we've recently had for the boys. And there are things that go along with you know, neuro, certain neurodivergence uh, behaviors. Like there are things that are quite 
challenging in terms of being spoken at for long periods of time and having to really practice conversation skills. But there's also some really wonderful things that come along with it as well. It's been a huge year for the boys, and I feel like it's just been a massive decade in general. It's one of those things with parenting that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to where I feel like it's gone by so quickly and at the same time, it feels like I've had them forever. You know, I can't really remember certain parts of my life before being a mum, and at the same time, there are still, you know, plenty of moments in motherhood where I am so just out of my depth and learning on the job, learning as I go. And I know that that will continue. I've always said that with being a mum, it's so relentless. It's relentless in terms of the things that occupy your thoughts and your feelings, the tasks that you have to do, the emotional scaffolding that you provide. It's just relentless and endless And it's relentless and endless in terms of the love that you feel for your kids. It's just the most unrelenting, unconditional, all-encompassing experience of loving something outside of your body and being challenged so many times. Like I think with parenting, you're confronted with your own stuff over and over and over again and you're learning and growing as you go definitely in becoming a mum myself, particularly the last few years, I've really developed much more of a sense of, I don't know if empathy, compassion or understanding, or just even perspective, I guess, for my own mum as well, because we really are growing up with our kids. Recently, I was chatting with a friend of mine and I was saying in a way, like if I was to fall pregnant again, I feel like I would be a better mum. Like this is a better version of me as a human that that child would get. And that's just purely because, you know, and perhaps I would feel that way always, you know, like I might say that and think that at 40 and 50 and 60 and beyond, like that I just keep having a better understanding of who I am and being more secure. But I think about the boys and falling pregnant at 26 or 27. I'm always so bad with timelines, but I I think I've been a good mum, but I also think I'm a much more well-rounded person and maybe it's a case of the chicken and egg, you know, maybe I needed to go through parenthood to get to that place of fighting off my demons and letting go of certain beliefs Um, and maybe it would have never happened had I not been a parent, I don't know. In saying that, I don't think that parenting is the only way you grow and change, of course, but I guess what I'm saying is sometimes I think wow, the boys have really had me grow up with them. And if I was to fall pregnant again, the then my third child, I think, would get a better version of me because I've had to do so much growing up with the kids. And that's been a real inroad, I guess, into compassion for my own mum. Growing up, there was always a sense of, like, I don't know what the right word is, maybe even just... There was always an awareness that my younger sister had a different experience to the experience I think my older sister and I had in a way because there was that, you know, nearly five year gap and my mom was so young when she had us and she's spoken about that on the podcast in a subscription episode. She spoke about what it was like to fall pregnant so young and have two kids at such a young age and be dealing with quite big things. 
it's no wonder then four and a half, nearly five years later, my younger sister got a slightly different version, you know, a more grown up version because that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. But in parenting, I feel like this decade, whilst the kids have grown from these tiny little babies, you know, they were like 2.4 and 2.5 kilograms born into these kids that are nearly at shoulder height and I watch them put their toast in or I watch them get the cereal out of the jars, you know, and they're reaching and I'm like, how? Like, how are you even reaching that right now? And it's just a wild thing to think. Anyway, I won't get too mushy, but I will say that I just wanted to share these 10 observations with you and I'm going to do it in two parts. So this is part one. The first thing that came to mind when I reflect on the past decade of being a mum was how important bedtime conversations are. And don't get me wrong, there are days when it's like you get to the end of the day and you've done so much, you've mentally carried so much, you've probably physically done a lot. Like sometimes I'll get to the end of the day and I'm like, Lord, give me strength. <laughs> like give me strength to get through this next 10, 15 minute chat. And that's much more a reflection of other mum tasks and life tasks that have chipped away at me through the day. But I know bedtime conversations with the boys are so sacred That's when they share things that have happened throughout their day that they haven't been ready to share, maybe because they haven't wanted to say things in front of their brother or it's something that they just needed to process. And I guess bedtime naturally is often when our worries come to the forefront as well, particularly for kids. You know, kids don't have phones like us adults where they're scrolling in bed and they can distract themselves. They're getting into bed. And my boys might read, but they get into bed and that's when things come to the surface. And that's when I've had some really like profound conversations and gained a real insight into what's going on for them. And so bedtime conversations, making time for that quality one-on-one every night is something I've done with the boys for as long as I can remember. And it's something I want to continue to do for as long as they will allow it. I know they'll get to a point where they take themselves off to bed and they don't need a good night hug and a good night kiss. But I want to always create that space. So even if it's like taking their clothes in and folding clothes at night and just having a bit of a chat with them as they wind down, that's the window where I feel most connected and most aware of what is happening for them. Number two, mum guilt. Oh my goodness. I don't think I experienced a lot of mum guilt in the early years of having the boys, probably because I was with them so much. I mean, like now that I'm saying it out loud, I definitely had a like concoction of complicated feelings when they were born and they went into special care and I was discharged without them. Like that was really, really hard to walk out of the hospital and not have them with me. Um, And I was ping-ponging straight back to that hospital. I'd go back to mum and dad's and shower and pump and go straight back there. So maybe I did have waves of guilt in the early days. But in the early months and years of their life, I didn't experience it too much that I was aware of. Maybe it did inform some of my decisions and behaviors, but it didn't keep me up at night in the way that mum guilt has in the last couple of years. The last couple of years, I have really felt the full weight of mum guilt for so many reasons. You know, maybe, not maybe, like literally because 
I know that going through a separation has impacted them. I know that they struggle with a variety of different areas in life. And I do, like every other mum on the planet, sometimes go down that slippery slope of beating myself up for not noticing things, for, um, you know, maybe doing too much sometimes. And it's, it's exactly that mum guilt. Like sometimes you feel guilty because you haven't done enough. You haven't been present enough. You're just not enough of what you think they might need. And then other times you feel mum guilt because you're too much. You know, you've been too over-involved. You've helped them too much. You've made things too easy. Like whatever it is, there's always something to feel guilty about. Like for mums that have had to go back to work really early on, you might feel guilty about that. And then mums that have stayed home, you might feel guilty that you haven't demonstrated, you haven't role modeled working and you're not striking that perfect balance. And I say working, but I hope you know that I mean working outside of the home. All mums are working. There's just never ending work to be done. But I guess particularly like in the last year or so, really trying to unpack what mum guilt is and why we feel it has made me so much more aware of how mum guilt really is a construct of societal pressure and systems that we live with that are literally designed to make us feel shit and to make us feel like we are failing when it comes to being a quote unquote good mum. For women, there are so many things day in, day out that do make us feel like we're not enough. And we get so much more judgment placed upon us than a father ever gets placed upon them. And it's no wonder that as a mum we feel guilty because the mental load that is expected of us to carry is huge. Even just, you know, when I think about like the kids going off to school working around that school day. I am so fortunate that I have a work balance that doesn't feel very balanced sometimes, but I have the work opportunity to collapse around the kids as needed. And sometimes I'm resentful of that. Sometimes I look at other parents and of course I'm aware that, you know, the the forest is always, the grass is always greener across the road and all of that sort of stuff. And you can't see the forest for the trees, but sometimes you know, even people in the boy's life, I'll be like, I'm so resentful that you get to work a full day and you get to have that structure. Whereas I always am the one to collapse and fill in the gaps. And I can get really annoyed by that. And at the same time, be grateful for it. It's not a this or that it's a, and both. And so I am grateful that I can be flexible, also known as collapsible around the kids. But I often think about parents who don't have that flexibility and how the school day sometimes is even like designed to make us feel like we can't do anything right. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's like we're expected to be at the ward ceremony, the school parade. We're meant to help out at the fundraising things and the running events and whatever else. And it just cuts into the middle of a work day. And so you're either eating up your annual leave, like I was chatting with one of my friends recently about this. And she was saying, I have no annual leave left because I've had to keep taking annual leave, annual leave days off because I want to be seen and I want to feel like I am the good mum at all of the school events. 
and we end up just running ourselves ragged. And so I think about that and I know I've had teachers reach out to me on Instagram and say they hate that there's such a level of expectation put on pressure, put on parents, excuse me, and also that those things like when it's like, oh, your parents should be here. Some parents just can't get there and then it negatively impacts their kids or there are the kids that have parents who don't care to be there for whatever reason or maybe they don't have parents. Maybe they live in care. Maybe they live with relatives and then when they see all of the other parents, that negatively impacts them as well. And so I've had those messages from teachers say like, they don't even like some of these systems. Yes, of course, we want parents involved in the community and parents to know what's happening throughout the day, but there is such a level of expectation and pressure put on parents to be ultra available. And the school day is already short. And I don't say that because I think that the school day should be longer. I don't. I think that the school day exhausts kids as well as it exhausts teachers, but it's very hard for a lot of parents to actually make a school day work. So many of my friends who now have kids in the early years of primary school are really, really struggling because they do have to use the before and after school care options. And it's wonderful that those options are available. But some workplaces really are not up to a flexible work schedule that helps a parent to feel like they can be the parent they want to be. And sometimes it's hard to know, you know, are we being the parent we want to be or are we conflating that with the parent that we expect that we should be and the whole perfect mother myth. And so over the last decade of being a mum, really unpacking what mum guilt is and where does it come from. And I did have a guest on the podcast and this episode hasn't gone live yet, but we spoke about capitalism impacting motherhood and mum guilt and expectations. So keep an eye out for that episode. It will be up hopefully in the new year, but it definitely made me think about these systems and mum guilt very differently. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Number three, in parenting, there are just some things that you cannot fix, and it's not your job to fix, and it breaks your heart. Because when our babies, our toddlers, our kids are upset, it sets off an internal alarm system and we want to fix it. It's like, oh, okay, they're upset. You know, when they're a baby and they're crying, it's like, okay, do they need to be fed? Do they have a wet nappy? What do they need? Do they need a hug? Have they got to burp? Like what's happening? They cry and all of our, like everything inside us activates and says, fix that problem. And that doesn't change as they become toddlers and children. And I'm sure it's the same as they get older. I'll have to keep you posted there. But I know even now at 10 years old, the boys will share things with me. And my mum heart wants to jump in and fix it. I'm like, oh, how can I solve this for you? But really understanding, and this is something I've lent into since they were toddlers, that my job as a mum is not to fix things. Sometimes, like sure, there are moments where I jump in. Of course, like I don't even, I shouldn't even have to add this caveat. You guys know me. Of course, I parent them. But there are certain issues 
or experiences, feelings, sensations, adversity that they need to go through and I can't fix and I should not fix. And it's hard to know when you shouldn't fix something because every part of your fiber as a parent is telling you to fix it and make it better for your kids. It's such a big love that you don't want them to go through pain. But understanding your role as a parent is to help them become a fully formed human, not a thing that doesn't experience challenges. They have to go through hard times. They have to sit with their sadness. They have to feel frustrated. They have to feel bored. They have to feel disappointed. They have to be upset sometimes. They have to be challenged. It's all part of it. And it's like the same thing in toddlerhood, right? There are meltdowns that you can't fix and you just have to bear witness to because they're unreasonable. Sometimes we just have to be their witness and validate their experiences, validating them and just being present. Like those are two of the biggest things rather than like fixing or minimizing stuff that they're going through. It's validating And it's giving them reassurance that what they're going through, which is in essence validation, but just reassuring them that it's okay to feel however they're feeling and that it will pass and that you do love them and you can be there for them and be present and witness it. Number four, you've probably heard me say this before, but in parenting, there is this thing that I always talk about as the entry fee concept. So an entry fee into your child's world changes all the time. When you have a baby, the entry fee into their world may be lying on the activity mat with them while they have tummy time, or it's blowing bubbles, it's pulling faces, it's bouncing them, it's, you know, chatting with them, like while you're holding them, that's the entry fee because you're bonding with them. As they get older, as they become toddlers, the entry fee into their world may be playing with trucks in the sandpit. It might be going down the slide at the park. It's playing with ponies, whatever they're interested in. Then they get older again and the entry fee is always evolving. But as parents, we pay that entry fee into their world because we know it's important. We know that's how we stay connected. We keep the line of communication open. It's how we show them that we love them and that they are important to us. But what happens as they get older is that entry fee changes And sometimes it's harder for us as parents to pay that entry fee, particularly if it's an entry fee you don't want to pay. And, you know, for me, that's things like, you know, they've gone through the Pokemon stage and they might as well have been speaking Spanish and it's gotten worse since they're into Dungeons and Dragons. It is a whole universe that I don't understand and I have no interest in at all. But I love those kids so much and I recognize that the entry fee into their world is showing an interest in what they're interested in. Now, that doesn't mean that I fake it and I'm interested every moment of every day. We definitely have limitations, particularly with their neurodivergence in terms of understanding that sometimes we do have to guide them when it's like, okay, you've been speaking at us about this now for a solid 25 minutes Perhaps let's, you know, redirect. But again, that's a different conversation for another day. But the entry fee concept is something I always keep in mind when I am feeling a bit like not as enthused about talking about something that they're 
perhaps interested in, I remind myself that's the entry fee into their world and I will pay it because that entry fee will allow me to stay connected with them and allow them to feel special and also keep those lines of communication open so that as they get older, they will keep talking to me about the things they're interested in and we will always have that connective tissue. I wish that certain people in my life would pay the entry fee into my world still as an adult. You know, like I wish that my dad would say to me, who are you interviewing? How's your podcast going? Like that's an entry fee. But some parents lack the awareness of that. And so I think it's a big one for us as parents to keep in mind. And so is number five. And that is the Venn diagram of play. Again, I've touched on this, but I couldn't not include it in this list of 10 observations or 10 lessons or just 10 things, really. Understanding the Venn diagram of play and interests for our family unit has been so valuable because off the back of talking about the entry fee into their world, as parents, it can feel really laborious. It's intense. We're always giving. We're meeting them where they are we're doing the most, you know, like we're doing the things that they want to do. And I'm a big believer in give and take when it comes to parenting and contribution and reciprocity and all of those things and defining the fact that as parents, we are allowed to have needs and interests as well. And just like we are patient with their needs and interests, they need to be patient with ours too. It's part of being in a family unit, but sitting down with them and really teaching them about the Venn diagram of play And thinking about it myself too, when I'm planning things, has been really helpful. So what I mean by this is, if you think about a Venn diagram, where is the crossover of interests and fun and play with your kids? An example I've shared before is like, I hate board games, puzzles, anything like that. I find painful and intolerable, (laughs) and maybe that's an ADHD thing, or it's just a personal preference, but... For me to sit down and play a board game is a real act of service. That is a pure act of love because I don't want to do it. But there are things that I enjoy doing that the kids enjoy doing as well. We all love going to the beach and diving under waves. We like getting out and going for a walk in nature. One of the boys really likes Taylor Swift. And whilst I'm not the world's biggest Swifty, I certainly appreciate that him and I can bond over that. And so, you know, we recently went and saw the Taylor Swift concert at the cinemas and it was such a fun outing because that's where our Venn diagram of interests crossed over. We both sat there appreciating the costumes and appreciating the spectacle and enjoying how sweet and how poppy and how commercial it really was. And it's useful when I'm thinking about planning one-on-one activities with the boys, which I don't get to do that often But when I go, okay, it's time, like I know that one of them's craving it, that like way of thinking about where is the crossover with our common interests is really helpful because yes, you can have that one-on-one time where you really are coming from a place of an active service. And believe me, I do that as well. Like there are times when I'll take one of them to time zone and time zone is my literal version of hell or like just recently we went and saw the Marvel the new Marvel movie and I just am not I'm just not designed like that I swear that when like you know when I was being created they just didn't put the fantasy chip into me it doesn't exist in me 
but we went and saw it. But anyway, back to this Venn diagram of common interests. It's so helpful because when I think about planning stuff for the weekends, I'm like, you know what? I want us all to feel full. I don't want to get to the end of the weekend and feel completely depleted and like a shadow of my former self. I want all of us to have full cups. So can I make sure I'm planning an outing that will fill our cups? You know, looking at the school holidays, what is something that we can all do and enjoy together? And so I wanted to include that because particularly given that it is that time of year, school holidays, have a think about where your common interests lie right now with the boys as well. They're at that age where we're starting to watch kind of like rom-com movies. We watched The Proposal recently. We watched 27 Dresses. We even did 10 Things I Hate About You. And they both loved it. They also loved Mean Girls. Loved, 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 loved it. And I'm desperate to try and find Bring It On, but I can't seem to find it on any streaming platform. But those are movies I enjoy. So yes, there are times when I go and I watch the Marvel films and that sort of stuff. But my crossover with them is where I can watch something that's lighthearted and we all enjoy it and it's a conversation starter for sure. It's also nostalgic. But anyway, I will keep the next five for part two. Um, But I appreciate you listening. And regardless of how old your child or children are right now, I definitely encourage you to think about your own big takeaways, your own observations. What are the ways that you've changed or the things that you've learned in your parenting journey so far? Stay tuned for part two. And I appreciate you listening to today's podcast episode. Before you run off, I just wanted to mention that over on Sunroom, you're going to find exclusive content that will be seen nowhere but Sunroom. And the reason for this is Sunroom is a safe platform. Things can't be screenshotted, they can't be shared or taken out of context, really. Sunroom is the inner circle and I am over there sharing workouts, reflections, honest, truly raw thoughts and feelings instant reactions to certain things that are going on in my life, and so much more. Over there, you can also organize your own custom experience. If you've ever wanted to book a mentoring session with yours truly to perhaps take your idea for your own podcast and start creating Maybe you have a podcast already, but you really want to learn some of the tricks of the trade when it comes to monetizing, streamlining, pitching to guests, or just creating a stronger podcast in general. I'm the first person to say I am not a business strategist, but I certainly am someone who loves the podcasting space. And with over 400 episodes under my belt, I will happily help you to learn from the mistakes I've made in the past and to cut out some of those tricky lessons and to just benefit from that experience. I love talking about podcasting and personal branding. So if you want to book a session with me, you can do that through Sunroom as well. You can also receive personalized voice notes and advice and so much more over there. Link is in the show notes. So come on over, join the inner circle and the circle is small. So the messages are getting answered quickly and I am available to you over through the Sunroom app. Link is in the bio.
Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 